Good morning, everybody. Before we begin, I'd like to open with prayer. Lord, as we come to you this morning to celebrate Palm Sunday, help us to hear your words that we may become we come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what his mission was. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday. So we're gathered here together to celebrate this day. This day marks the beginning of the week of the events which led up to Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection. This week is also referred to as Holy Week or Passion Week. So today we'll be primarily focused on the triumphal entrance of Christ into Jerusalem. Now, although I know everyone here has probably observed this day their whole lives, I have not. So I'd like to give you a little background of my religious upbringing. I did not observe the Christian traditions of Easter and Christmas. I was raised in a church which observed the Jewish holy days given to the Israelites. We did not observe them in a strict Jewish tradition, but in a Christianized version of them. We observed the holy days found in Leviticus 23 and other scriptures, which are the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Last Great Day. We also observed the Seventh-day Sabbath. We considered Easter and Christmas to be of a pagan origin because they were not given to God's people. But since I left that church years ago and its beliefs, I now look at the plan of redemption and the traditional Christian and Reformed Christian theology in a completely different light. Since coming to Christ, I have a much fuller understanding of the redemptive plan of God through what these holy days pictured. While we observe these holy days every year, our focus was on the obedience to observe them. And we missed what these days truly meant. That they all were pointing to Christ and his glory. We felt we were righteous in our obedience rather than in what Christ did for us. So just to give you an understanding of maybe where the people that were following Christ into Jerusalem were thinking of that day. I want to read to you a commentary from Rabbi Lauren Jacobs. And he gives a good summary in the meaning of the Jewish holy days. God has a plan to save a chosen remnant of human beings. That plan is revealed in the Jewish holy days. Those who are part of this chosen remnant experience the rest that the Lord of the Sabbath provides by understanding that the Messiah did the work of salvation for us and we rest in his finished work. God passes over our sins when we understand that Yeshua is our Passover lamb who died for us and rose from death in fulfillment of first fruits. The cycle of sin and sin nature is broken when by faith we are united to the sinless one who is the fulfillment of the matzah or unleavened bread. In fulfillment of Shavuot, or the Pentecost, we receive Messiah's Spirit in new life. By faith, 
we can already hear the shofar blowing and even now prepare ourselves for our king's return who will fulfill Yom Ruah, Feast of Trumpets, the day for blowing the shofar. So we know that the Messiah, when the Messiah returns, he will judge the nations and so fulfill Yom Kippur, or Day of Atonement. And we believe that everyone who is gathered in the kingdom of the Messiah will live forever in their new homes and experience everlasting joy, which is the fulfillment of Sukkot, or Feast of Tabernacles. God designed the Jewish Holy Days to point us to Yeshua. Yeshua fulfills the Jewish Holy Days. He fills them with full of meaning, purpose, and fills them full of life and salvation. Jesus grew up as a Jew. and He celebrated these holy days every year of his life. He knew what these days meant because he is the one that gave them to Israel. He knew what was coming. He knew what he would be going through. There are more biblical events that lead up to the crucifixion of Jesus and than just this one day we call Palm Sunday. But this event was significant because it represented the beginning of the end of his ministry on earth. As we observe Palm Sunday, we look back on everything that occurred that day. But the people in the crowd had a completely different perspective on the events of that day than we do now. They were living in the actual fulfillment of prophecy that they had been looking forward to being fulfilled. So what is Palm Sunday about and why do we celebrate it? Why do we pause to recognize it? This day is a memorial of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem on his way to observe the Passover and to make known who he was. It marks the beginning of the events leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection and the beginning of the end of his ministry on earth. The events of this week following this day when Jesus made known who he actually was and what he's going to accomplish for us. If you would turn to Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. So beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those followed cried out, saying, 
Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So as Jesus and the disciples were traveling over the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples to Bethphage to procure a colt of a donkey and his mother. Luke gives us a little more detail in verse 9, or Luke 19, verse 29 and 30. It came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village opposite you, where you will as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. Here Luke says that it was an unbroken colt. So why did Jesus have this done? He could have just continued to walk to Jerusalem. But he did this to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O Zion, daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So again, why were they told to bring the colt's mother with them? It doesn't tell us why, but probably because this colt had never been ridden, as Luke has said. So putting somebody on this colt in the middle of a crowd that was cheering and singing and dancing would have been very unnerving to it. So having its mother with him would keep him calm. So it would make it very difficult to ride it on its own. So here we have Jesus riding on a colt and there was a large crowd following him from Bethphage. Also a crowd was coming to meet him from Jerusalem. The people believed that Jesus was the Messiah and he was, well, most of them believed that he was Messiah and also believed that he was coming to Jerusalem to set up his kingdom that at that time. They believed that he was coming to conquer and free them from Rome. People were giving him a royal entrance into Jerusalem. Believing he was going to be their new king, they were laying their cloaks and tree branches before him and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In John's account, we learned that these tree branches were palm branches. Palm branches were waved like we would wave flags today at a parade or event. In John 12, verse 13, or, not, or verse 12 and 13, in the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. In history, palm branches were a symbol of victory, triumph, peace, and eternal life. And Christianity is most often associated with Palm Sunday as a symbol of victory. The people sincerely believed that he was on his way to Jerusalem to establish his kingdom that very day. Now we find that people were singing and celebrating and shouting Hosanna 
to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest heaven. In their praise of Jesus, they were actually alluding to Psalms 118. In Psalms 118, verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. While they were singing Hosanna to the highest, they were actually asking to be saved now. The word Hosanna comes from a Hebrew word meaning save now or save us, we pray. These were the same people that were crying crucify him a week later. They did not realize that in this demand to crucify Jesus, they were actually fulfilling his purpose. They were fulfilling their cries of Hosanna, save us now. This was an acknowledgement of the prophecy of Jesus, the Messiah. The allusion to the Messianic psalm caused resentment among the religious leaders. Some of the Pharisees asked Jesus to rebuke his disciples in Luke 19.39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus replied, If they would keep quiet, the stones would cry out. Just as a side note, though, notice the Pharisees, what the Pharisees called him. They referred to him as teacher. So obviously some of the Pharisees may have been followers or at least agreed with his teachings. But they seem to have drawn the line when they, when they were considering him to be the Messiah. The people in this crowd which were following him had been observing the holy days representing God's plan of redemption their whole lives. The holy days had been part of the Jewish tradition for thousands of years. They very well may have realized the meaning of this events foretold in Zechariah 9.9 in Isaiah 62, telling of the Messiah to come. But they did not fully understand the significance of this event. They were expecting Jesus to overthrow Rome, Roman government and free them from their bondage and rule the nations of Israel and provide peace with God and with the nations around them. They were expecting a conquering Messiah, not a suffering Messiah. They did not realize he was not saving them from their bondage to Rome, but rather their bondage to sin. Not only their sin, but the sin of the world. So where are we? Are we in the procession following Jesus in faith and in trust? Or are we just on the sidelines cheering him on? until things don't go the way we think they ought to. Where are we when things don't go our way? During this week after, or during the week after his arrival in Jerusalem, Jesus taught in the temple, preached the gospel and healed the sick. He taught of his kingdom gave parables explaining God's plan, and yet his teachings were questioned and his authority challenged by the chief priests, scribes, and elders. The people slowly began to realize that Jesus was not the Messiah they wanted. He was not the God they wanted, much like people do today. 
If I could draw a parallel to this event, not of the triumphal entrance of Christ into Jerusalem, but of the crowd cheering him on. Just as these people were living in the fulfillment of prophecy as they understood it, I believe we are living in the fulfillment of prophecy at the end times prior to the coming tribulation. Are we in agreement with God's plan of events? Are we following Jesus' lead in his plan? Following Jesus is taking events for what they are, not for what we want them to be. Are we reading things into them and assigning biblical scripture incorrectly? Are we on the sidelines cheering when things go as we want? What if the events don't go the way we ask or pray? What about the moral crises of today? Or the most recent political events? Or our current pandemic events? Just as the people in Jesus' day were all for him, or at least for who they thought he was, they later turned against him. Are we going to continue to follow or, we, or will we turn aside and deny Christ when we find his plan to be different from our own? When things aren't going the way we think they should, it's easy to become discouraged or to lose our zeal for God's word. We are to, follow, we are to be followers of Christ, not on the sidelines and not in front trying to lead him, but to be followers. God is in control. This is God's plan. It is not about us or our will, but it is about God and His glory. When we follow Christ, we take things as they come and for what they are. When we follow on the sidelines trying to direct God, we can become discouraged when events don't go as we expect. Or we have not received what we have prayed for. We may be in agreement with God's plan as long as it is going our way, but we don't seem to be doing much cheering when things fail to go our own way. We begin to question God or wonder if he is really in control. Where will we be when it becomes unacceptable to preach the gospel or to proclaim that Jesus is our Savior? Where will we be if we are faced with the things that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are faced with around the world? Some of them are being imprisoned for years for simply professing the name of Christ. Are we on the sidelines cheering? Nobody was with Christ from the time of his arrest to his crucifixion. They were there, but they were on the sidelines. They were observing events that were not going the way that they interpreted Scripture to mean or what they had hoped for. They were no longer proclaiming Him to be Lord and Savior. They were not even admitting to being followers of His teachings or even knowing Him. Nobody stood by Jesus as He went to sacrifice Himself for us to free us from our bondage to sin. I'd like to read an article that I found um, from God Questions Ministries, which summarizes the events of this day. The triumphal entrance entry is that of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, what we know as Palm Sunday. The Sunday before his crucifixion, the story of the triumphal entry in one of 
few incidents in his life where Jesus, of life of Jesus, which appeared in all four gospel accounts. Putting the four gospel accounts together, it becomes clear that her triumphal entrance was a significant event, not only for people of Jesus' day, but to Christians throughout history. We celebrate Palm Sunday to remember the momentous occasion. On that day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey's colt, one that had never been ridden before. The disciples spread their cloaks on the donkey for Jesus to sit on, and the multitudes came out to welcome him, laying before him their cloaks and branches of palm trees. The people hailed him and praised him as the king who comes in the name of the Lord as he rode to the temple where he taught the people, healed them, and drove out the money changers and merchants who had made his father's house a den of robbers. Jesus' purpose of riding into Jerusalem was to make public his claim to be Messiah and king of Israel in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Matthew says the king coming on the fall of a donkey was an exact fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O Zion, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on the donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus rides into his capital city as a conquering king and, and is hailed by the people as such in a manner of that day. The streets of Jerusalem, the royal city, are open to him, and like a king he ascends to his palace, not a temporal palace, but the spiritual palace that is his temple, because he is a spirit his is a spiritual kingdom. He receives the worship and praise of the people because only he deserves it. No longer does he tell his disciples to be quiet about him, but to shout his praise and worship him openly. The spreading of the cloaks was an act of homage for royalty. Jesus was openly declared to the people that he was king and the Messiah they had been waiting for. Unfortunately, the praise of the people lavished on Jesus was not because they recognized him as savior from sin. They welcomed him out of the desire for a messianic deliverer, someone who would lead them in a revolt against Rome. There were many who, though they did not believe in Christ as Savior, nevertheless hoped that perhaps he would be the, to them a great temporal deliverer. These are the ones who hailed him king with their many hosannas, recognizing him as a son of David who came in the name of the Lord. But when he failed in their expectations, when he refused to lead them in a massive revolt against the Roman occupiers, the crowds quickly turned on him. Within just a few days, their hosannas would change to cries of crucify him. Those who hailed him a hero would soon reject and abandon him. So the story of the triumphal entry is one of contrasts, and those contrasts contain applications to all believers. It is a story of the king who came as a lowly servant on a donkey. Not a prancing steed, not on royal robes, but on the clothes of the poor and the humble. 
Jesus Christ comes not to conquer by force as earthly kings, but by love, grace, mercy, and His own sacrifice for His people. His is not a kingdom of armies and splendor, but of lowliness and servanthood. He conquers not nations, but hearts and minds. His message is one of peace with God, not a temporal peace. If Jesus had made a a temporal entry into your or our hearts, he reigns there in peace and love. As his followers, we exhibit these same qualities. And the world sees the true king living and reigning in triumph in us. So before I close, I would like to read one more event written in Revelation 19 very similar to the event we are celebrating today. So if you turn to Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on it, upon him, was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes are as a flame of fire, and his and on his head were many crowns, and he had the name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth come a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. So Jesus is coming again, but this time He will not be coming as a humble Messiah riding a colt of a donkey, but as King of kings riding on a white horse. He is coming in all His glory to reign over all nations with a rod of iron in righteousness as King of kings and Lord of lords. So as we celebrate this day of Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, Let us also look forward to His coming when He will rule His kingdom and establish it forever. Let us prepare our hearts and receive Him as our personal King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the one You came in Your name, Your Son, who You sent to become our Savior and King. Father, as we go through this week, help us to truly understand how much we have been forgiven and how great is Your love for us. How much Your mercy and grace, how much of it You have poured out upon us. Thank You for sending Your Son, not only as our Savior, but as our King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.